You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. We'll just, no, it's good. Um, yeah, so when time has run out, it's good to be with you. Uh, uh, today we continue our series on time after time. Is there an echo? Yes? Stadium Rock, Sunday morning. <laughs> Sounds like it's gone. Is it gone? Sure. Okay, cool. Let me back up. All right, so time after time uh, is, our, is our worship series. Today we talk about, last week we talked about wasting time. How much time has to elapse before it's wasted, before it's devoted at, in, in, in terms of Sabbath, rest, and this kind of thing. Today we talk about when time has run out, or seemingly when time has run out. And our scripture lesson today is familiar to many. Uh, it's the story of the prodigal son. Our lesson is from the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter, beginning with the first verse. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Now all the tax collectors, all the tax, no, that's last week. All right, cool. That's last week's lesson. You've already heard it. So just open your ears. Close your eyes and open your ears. Here we go. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to Jerusalem to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. And they were saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up, I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran out and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and let us uh, celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate. Now... His elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, uh, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. 
His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have not given me so much as a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, son, you were always with me and all that is mine is already yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He has been lost and now is found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, it's the most ambiguous beginning to the world's most familiar hymn. A father had two sons. So already you know it's a bit complicated. If he had one son, that's easy. But he had two. And you know these stories from the Old Testament when there are brothers? It tends not to work out well. Right? Cain and Abel, we know how that story worked out. Like Jacob and Esau. Right? We know how that story worked out. Right? When there are two... There are shenanigans. Well, the younger son goes to his dad, right? And he says, I want my share of the inheritance, which is a biblical way of saying, I want dad, dad, I want you to drop dead, right? Any parents of teenagers? Yeah, you good? Yeah, drop dead, dad. And then the father acquiesced and said, okay. Here's your share of the inheritance. This is not what the father had to do. At this point, if you're hearing this for the first time, especially if you're in the first century Palestine, hearing this for the first time, you're going to listen in now. Because now this father of this parable, of this great wandering rabbi who's performing all of these miracles and and feeding people and doing the miraculous, he's telling this story and he's deviating from expectation. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21, it gives you the law concerning an unruly son. If you have an unruly son, ladies, the Bible doesn't give you much to hang your hat on, but here you're not included in this. It's only for sons. It's only for disruly sons. If your son is disruly, you take him, drag him out of the city, hand him over to the elders, and then the elders can stone him to death. And it says, all Israel will hear this and fear. That is what Deuteronomy chapter 21 says you are to do with an unruly son. So this son is taking a risk. Drop dead, dad. At this point, this wandering rabbi, if you're a Pharisee listening and you're expecting the father to say, come with me, son, Right? But the father acquiesces to his request. So if you're in the first century, you're now leaning in very closely, especially a Pharisee, very closely to what this wandering rabbi is about to say. How stupid of a father to give this reckless kid all of it. He didn't say, okay, here's your inheritance. Let's start a Roth IRA. Let's make sure we put some away for college. Right? Let's put, no, it's just, here's the check, babe. Here you go. So then what happens? He goes down to Nola, to the Harrahs, and blows it all in three days. 
In three days, it took him three days to lose everything. Well, now, if you're a first century Pharisee, you're saying, yeah, what a stupid dad. What a stupid dad to give everything away to know that this son of yours is going to lose it all. And he does. Loses everything. And then there was a famine, which means the safety net was not there. And it said, finally, he was in need. Probably for the first time in his life, he was in need. So he hired himself out on the streets of Nola to one of the locals to feed a bunch of pigs. As a first century Palestinian, as a Jew, there's almost nothing worse than being associated with pigs. It means you are unclean. You, it's not that you have done something unclean. You, in your person, are unclean. The only thing that's worse is to touch a dead body. Which, by the way, which is why the sentence comes back in the parable and it makes more sense. My son was dead and now he's alive because working with pigs to a local Gentile way out of town, you're just as good as dead to the devout. And then it says he came to himself. How remarkable is that? He came to, in other words, he didn't, there wasn't like a, 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 a traveling preacher who preached to him the gospel and then he saw the error of his ways and, and into my heart, into my heart. No, he came to himself. And he came to this realization that I, I'm, I'm starving. I've got to change this life. He came to himself. He didn't need a traveling preacher to give him more shame because he knows. He knows. He knows he lost everything. He knows that he has sold his body. He knows. He doesn't need someone else to pile on the shame even further. And my suspicion is, you know too. You know. You know your own story. You know that all of us need a little bit more light in some places, a little bit more grace in others. You don't need me to add shame on top of your own story. But the problem is when we don't know. The problem is when we think there's nothing for us to work on, when we think that we are the beacon of righteousness to the community. When you think there's nothing for you to work on, that's when we should do coffee. That's when we should talk. Right? Because there are some things that, that we are blind to because we are in the fishbowl and we need those who have courage to speak truth to power. We need those who have courage to say what needs to be said and to walk with us in order to bring about justice and righteousness and equality. For example, uh, NPR did a story earlier this week about the disparity between uh, home values, uh, racially motivated disparity between appraisals. Uh, there was, a, there was a, a study done by Freddie Mac, and the study revealed that in white communities, homes were undervalued at a rate of 7.4%. In African-American communities, that number jumps to 12.5%. 
And in Hispanic communities, it's double. It's 15.4% that homes are undervalued with appraisal. And when you say things like this, people start to lose their minds. When you talk about race, people lose their minds because someone might say, well, I'm a home appraiser. Are you calling me racist? No. But that means you are well-equipped to dig into this and to wonder what's going on so that we might build a better system. Right? He came to himself. He had this realization that he wasn't where he needed to be. So he says this, I will go to my father's house because the slaves at least have bread. Understand that his motivation was not, I need to get right with God, or it wasn't doctrinal, it wasn't theological. He said, I'm starving. And I need to get back to a place that at least I can fill my belly. If you're, and the lesson therein is this. If someone is starving, don't preach to them that Jesus is the bread of life unless you're also bringing bread with you. I've got to get back home. I'm starving. I've got nothing left. That's the order. He says, I'm starving. I need bread. So I'll go and I'll tell my dad to treat me like a slave because I'm no longer worthy to be his son. Sometimes when we hear this, we hear this as humility. right? He's really lowering himself. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Treat me like a slave. But it's not humility at work here. It is self-preservation. Do you remember Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21, what a father can do to a disruly son? So he's practicing this over and over again. I am not worthy to be called your son. Please don't treat me as an unruly son. Please don't treat me like an unruly son. I'd rather be a slave. According to the Deuteronomistic law, you can't kill a slave. But an unruly son? I'm not worthy to be your son. Please buy that, dad. Please buy that. Let me be a slave in your house. It's self-preservation. So, he comes to himself, he, he's, he's running back home, and as he's coming home, he sees dad running toward him. Now, we get the inside track because as we're reading it, it says he was moved with compassion to go reach out to his son. But what do you think is going through the young man's mind? Remember Deuteronomy chapter 1. It says you kick them out of the city. You don't let them in. And then you stone them to death. So what must he be thinking when he's walking to town and he sees dad, not politely walking, running to meet him? Oh my God, they're not going to let me set foot in the city. Dad, dad is running toward me to stop me from setting foot back home. Can you imagine the anxiety? Please don't treat me as your son. Treat me as a slave. Please don't see, I am not worthy to be, don't kick me out, dad. And the father runs and hugs him and kisses him. And he says to his slaves, give him a robe, give him a ring, give him sandals. Let us kill the fatted calf and let us celebrate. And it sounds like that's the ending of the parable, right? It's, it's like the perfect Disney ending, right? He's come back home and they're throwing a party. They're having hamburgers like the best ever. And it's done. And if I were a betting man, and I'm not according to the discipline, if I were a betting man, 
That's probably where the parable was intended to end originally. Understand, it begins with Pharisees who were mad at Jesus because he was eating with sinners. So he says, okay, then I got a story for you. Jesus is revealing a parable that goes against Deuteronomy, that goes against Deuteronomistic law. Because the father was supposed to grab him by the collar and drag him out of the city. And Jesus says, no, he came and he hugged him and he kissed him and he gave him the best of things and he welcomed him home and had a party. At this point is when the Pharisees are walking away. (laughs) This jerk, this rabbi, like doesn't know the Bible. And they're walking away. And I can imagine Jesus saying, there's an older son and he was working out in the field And he heard, as the Pharisees are walking away, angry at the story that Jesus is telling, he heard that his brother was welcome, so he became angry and decided not to join the party. And then I imagine the Pharisees stopping, turning around, okay. Then finish the story, Jesus. So he does. The father runs out to meet the older brother as well. He doesn't wait. That's the thing. God doesn't wait around and say, man, I hope somebody comes to Asbury today. God goes out to meet us. And if, we, if our perspective is that God is angry and God is vengeful, then when we see God running to us as the prodigal son, we become anxious and afraid. What is dad going to do? So the father runs out to meet the older son. And the older son interrupts him and says, I've been working like a slave for you all of my life. That, that is exactly what the younger brother wanted. Do you see the parallel in the language? Don't treat me as your son, treat me as a slave. And here's the older brother saying, I've been working for you like a slave my entire life. And his dad greets him with, son, son, I never asked you to work for me like a slave. You are my child. I don't want you to fear me. I don't want you to be a slave for me. I want you to be my son. I want you to inherit. Son, everything I already have is already yours. Your brother got half, but everything I have is already yours, is what he tells him. I've been working for you like a slave, and he answers, but my son. He renames him. He gives him his his true identity back. Now, there's one thing in this parable that is definitive, There's one thing. I don't know if you caught it. There's one thing in this parable that's definitive. Look, um, the son did not have to ask for his inheritance. The son uh, did not have to squander everything. The father did not have to give it. The father did not have to welcome his son back. The older brother didn't have to be angry. The only thing in this parable, the only thing in this parable that is definitive is said, we had to celebrate. We had to. There was no other choice. There was no option. There's no plan B. We had to celebrate because your brother is back. 
Our job as Christians is to create an environment in which celebration is necessary. We have to celebrate because someone has come home. We have to celebrate because there's transformation. We have to celebrate because someone looked at the system and said, we can do better than this. We have to celebrate when someone comes home and thinks that they are a slave and they think that they're supposed to fear God when they finally see that they are a child and an heir. We have to celebrate. Think of the role of the church in the world if our only job was to create an environment in which we have to celebrate. There's no other option. Because the news is so damn good that we can't help but celebrate. He was dead. He's come back to life. He was lost. And he is found. Stop asking for half, like the younger brother. Stop asking for half. But be like the older brother in the sense that inherit the all. Stop asking for half and receive all. Receive all of God's mercy. Receive all of God's grace. Receive all of God's love. And friends, it is okay to be found. It's okay to be found. It's okay not to be perfect. It is okay to be found. It is okay to say, man, going to Nola and Harris, that was a terrible idea. It's okay to be found. It's okay to come home and be lavished with forgiveness. But come home. Be found. Because God is looking. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.